0: Welcome to another installment of The OK Show. It's a podcast brought to you by The Current that features real musicians talking about their real lives. I'm your host, Andrea Swenson, and today we're going to learn more about the talented vocalist, songwriter, artist, and feminist, Claire DeLune. Now that we're 11 episodes into The OK Show, I realize that I've started to weave a bit of a tangled web between some of my guests. You may remember that Season 1 wrapped up with Manchita of Girl Party, and Season 2 kicked off with one of Manchita's collaborators, Lizzo. Well, we're going to keep that family tree branching outward today as we explore the backstory of another one of Lizzo's one-time collaborators, Claire DeLune who broke out in Minneapolis as a singer in the hip-hop trio The Chalice and then left the group to launch her own project, Tiny Deaths. I have a tremendous respect for Claire, not only for her artistry and for her gorgeous voice, which has blossomed and matured significantly over the past few years, but for her ability to very clearly and movingly convey her thoughts about feminism, anxiety, and the inner workings of the music industry. After a few late-night Twitter exchanges, I quickly realized that Claire and I have a lot in common. We both deal with anxiety disorders that are trying to knock us off our game. We both deeply identify with imposter syndrome, a.k.a. I'm not actually talented and don't deserve to be here, and any of the successes I've had surely must have been an accident. And we both want the music scene in the Twin Cities to be more inclusive for women. When Claire's new project, Tiny Deaths, placed in the City Pages pick-to-click poll in 2014, she was literally the only woman to be featured in that music issue. This year, she wrote a compelling essay for City Pages about the misogyny that still runs rampant in the music world and some of the slights, both large and small, that she's experienced while navigating music venues as a woman. I knew Claire and I would have a lot to talk about, and indeed, we did. The following 30 minutes are only a small part of our full and very interesting conversation. Hey, Claire. (laughs) Hey, Andrea. How's it going? (laughs) It's going great. I always giggle when I start these. (laughs) There's something a little nerve-wracking about hitting record, even though we've just been sitting here talking.
1: Yeah, for like 25 minutes already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you have new music coming out. Yes. And I definitely want to talk to you about that. And I also want to talk to you just about... Kind of your journey in the Twin Cities music scene um, yeah. because you've had a lot of interesting adventures already. Um, kind of get me caught up on like what you've been working on lately and what you're getting ready to put out.
1: Well, my life has been pretty consumed by this next EP that Tiny Desk is putting out in the spring. It was a bunch more songs and we kind of whittled it down to four um, and maybe something will come of the other songs eventually. So. That's been the last year or so of my life, and during that time, I was also, uh, which I think kind of somehow informed this project in a weird way, working with Ryan Young from Trampled by Turtles on an acoustic project where I was playing acoustic guitar, and he was playing fiddle. Is, not was, it's (laughs) still a thing, Um, but Trampled's been so busy, and I really wanted to get another Tiny Desk record out anyway, so... I've been mostly focused on that, but I think kind of the songwriting muscles that I was flexing with Ryan, I think really added a lot to this Tiny Death's record because when it's just you and an acoustic guitar and there's no vocal effects and there's no big boomy bass or anything, it really kind of forces you to focus on the song. Yeah. And I think that having that exercise kind of made me step my game up writing wise on this tiny dust record and I I mean I'm the most proud of these songs that than I ever have been ever of anything and I felt that way about the last tiny dust record but now I feel that way I've never been more like anxious and excited and impatient for people to hear something I've made because usually I'm kind of second guessing it and like I don't know if They're going to like it. So I guess they can just wait as long as it wants to come out. And now I'm just like, oh, I just want it to come out. I want (laughs) people to hear it.
0: interested in the progression of your voice because um I feel like in the last year especially when I watch you live like you've just kind of hit a new level of performing (laughs) your voice sounds so strong and um I think it's maybe I don't know if it's like a performance thing or if it's like a songwriting thing that you're writing to your voice's strengths um but I was just curious to know more about you know your um practice as a as
1: a vocalist and how you feel like that's progressed when i first started making music and singing in this scene i was 18 yeah and i'm 26 now and i'm starting to be more comfortable with myself as a person and like getting to know myself and accepting myself and i think that that also kind of indelibly has an impact in your voice cuz Your voice is, like, the most kind of vulnerable, like, naked expression of who you are, in a way. So if you're not comfortable with yourself, you can only fake it so far, you know? Right.
0: You and I have talked about this in the past, but we both suffer from pretty wicked imposter syndrome. Yes, that's
1: exactly it. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, I'm just here because I got this lucky break, Mm -hmm. or... I knew this person who introduced me to this person and like someday they're gonna wake up and realize that I'm just somebody who sings. I'm not a singer, I'm not you know, I don't know. Do you just you have those doubts and I guess I've had enough like kind out of out-of-body moments where you step outside of yourself and you look at yourself like anyone else would. I've had this conversation with my mom in different iterations like a few different times this year, of just like, wow, if I didn't know me. And I looked at like the stuff that I was doing. I would be like, "She's legit," yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's crazy. My mom's like, "Yeah, that's because you are legit. <laughs> like, you have to believe it. It's true." Yeah. Trying to like give yourself a little bit of credit for things that you've accomplished instead of just feeling lucky and like it could go away at any second. Right. Just kind of giving yourself the chance to be like. To some degree, it's lucky. And to some degree, I earned it. Right. You know? Right. Which is really... I think we've talked about this. really hard for me to do. And does not come naturally to me. Even though I work really hard. Yeah. But I kind of, yeah, have that natural inclination to be like... I'm just lucky. And they're going to decide that I'm not good enough. Or I'm not whatever enough, you know?
0: Right. Do you think that some of that is getting started so young and and trying to become part of the scene so young and also I mean I also dropped out of college I think that kind of creeps in in a lot of different ways of like I'm not qualified but um, for me you know like I started trying to write when I was in my early 20s and Mm -hmm. so in some ways I still feel like I'm like the kid of the music journalism scene I don't know if you feel like that in the music scene.
1: Well I mean in numbers in a lot of ways I am a lot of my friends that I really look up to and respect who are now my peers. I almost just said somehow. Like, I was still about to, like, diminish (laughs) myself. That's amazing. (laughs) Even after talking about it for 15 minutes. um, Yeah, some of my peers are a lot older than me in the range of 10 to 20 years older than me. Yeah. So I do kind of feel like the kid, which is really interesting because in the world of pop music I'm like geriatric at 26 you know I mean like everybody who's kind of like on the top 40 of the billboard chart is my age or younger Mm -hmm. um but in the realm of music that I'm interested in which is you know people who are in it for the long haul and just take the music itself really seriously I'm still quite young so that's definitely part of it um I don't know. I don't I think that's like a perfect storm of like so being a woman, we are taught explicitly and implicitly to be keep our heads down mm-hmm. and not congratulate ourselves too much and not compliment ourselves, not be too confident, not speak too loud, you know. So that's even growing up with a super feminist mom in, in New York City, which is You know, the most probably forward thinking epicenter of the country, I still was subject to that. Um, So there's like, you're a female, and then I am in my 20s, and I did start really young. And, um, you know, the thing about being a musician is, you know, that's all documented. Mm -hmm. So, like, all the music I've made while I was figuring it out. People have heard that, and like some people really liked it, which is crazy. But it's weird. I feel like up until Tiny Desk, like not to discount anything I've done because I'm proud of all of it in different ways. I don't think I'd really found myself as a musician, and I didn't ever really see myself in the work that I was doing for a long time. I kind of just thought that that's just how music careers worked, is you just kind of fall into one thing and then fall into another, and you kind of just get taken along and I literally have said to myself in the past like well I think that was just foolish to think that you just have total autonomy ever about what you do musically and you just end up somewhere and like you just make as cool of a thing as you can there and then you fall into something else and it's all chance and it's all who you met that summer who you know like I just kind of really believed that um, and then I just made a conscious decision when it didn't make any sense necessarily for my career To just not do that, to just make some songs even. It wasn't even going to be a record necessarily, but just for fun and just because I wanted to feel fulfilled musically um, and, and just see what that would sound like.
0: I really like what you said earlier about being in it for the long haul. Yes, that's that's something important to me. (laughs) I think about that all the time. Mm -hmm. Because it's so tempting in this business because we tend to go through this cycle of like we get really excited about something. And it's all of a sudden in the spotlight. And then a month later we're kind of on to the next thing. So it's really tempting to want to get like into that cycle and be the, the hot thing. Yeah, I'm just curious, like what keeps you kind of nose to the grindstone about things what what drives you creatively to just want to keep focusing on the craft and not the attention
1: I mean I think at a certain point you just decide what kind of career you want or at least I did I had to recalibrate the reasons why I got into this because I I did feel and I don't mean to talk about like the chalice or anything that I've done like it was the Grammys or something I mean it's small time stuff really but it was enough of a departure from any opportunities I'd had to show kind of a contrast of like two roads diverged in a forest kind of a thing and I just for a while kind of felt lost and like I completely lost my way and forgot why I even did it and just got into the rigmarole of like this many people need to like this song and we've got to get this magazine to write about it and these people need to be our booking agents because they're connected to... Th- you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, it's so easy to get sucked up in that because it's like a game and I'm a really... I think by nature I'm kind of a competitive person. So I just got sucked into that. And honestly, my whole life, until Tiny Desk, I thought that I wanted to play arenas and like be huge. Those were like the kind of ambitions I had. I told everyone... And that was something that Lizzo and I had in common, actually, in the chalices. We were both like, we want to play arenas. Hmm. And I just always, that was always my blind goal. Like, not even for any reason, necessarily. I just, like, set my goals as big as I possibly could. And then everything I did in my whole life was towards that. And I didn't have the best romantic life. And I don't feel like I even had like, as awesome of a social life as I could have, because everything was towards that. Everything was towards that singular goal of, like, be a huge, successful superstar, basically. Which sounds so silly out loud now to me, but... It doesn't sound silly to me. (laughs) It's just what I always thought I wanted. So when the chalice broke up, I thought I had, like, my life planned out. Like, how it was gonna go. At least for, like, the next few years. And it wasn't gonna go that way. And I kind of had had a moment of like self-reflection of just like what am I doing and why and what do I want and why do I want it really yeah you know and um I looked at like the songs that really moved like I, I spent a lot of time it sounds so Oprah and corny but just like s- introspective time and just thinking about remembering the moments when I decided to get into music when I was so little, like remembering the songs, like remembering, I remember being on a train with my mom and hearing the Alicia Keys record for the first time. Cause I, um, had heard songs in a minor, I heard Fallen and she bought me the Alicia Keys record right before we went on this train trip when I was like 11 or something mm. and hearing like feeling so moved from song to song in such different directions, like feeling pumped one song and feeling heartbroken the next song and I didn't know what any of that was I was so young and being like I want to be able to do that for people like I want to make people feel things you know and like I remember like the first time I heard Ani DeFranco and being like an angsty you know like eighth grade eighth ninth grader and being like this is how I feel, and she gets me, and she gets it, and she's mad, I'm mad, it's okay to be mad, yeah, there are other women who are mad, Yeah, they're not just cute, they're pissed too, (laughs) you know, and like, I don't know, it was so weird, it was like watching my whole past life flash before my eyes, all these moments, all these like, little pieces in the scrapbook of the moments where I really fell in love with music, and realized that it's what I wanted to do and felt the drive and, like, the pull, the, like, inexplainable pull to do it to the point where you lead yourself down this, like, really difficult path that's incredibly inconsistent (laughs) and really hard. And I got a full ride to a really good school and I got really, I did really well in school and, you know, I can write and I can do other things. Like, I could have done something else. It's not like that's all I could have done, but it's all I ever felt compelled to do. And there are, you know, inexplicable reasons why. And then there's those moments, like, those records and those songs that just really change your life or really make you feel human in such a beautiful way that nothing else can besides music. Yeah. You know? And, like, are those moments about being in nylon? Are those moments about your score on Pitchfork? Does that the what I care about? You know? And I just really had like a really profound change and I just felt like I don't know I think that you have to give up so much as an artist but also as a person (laughs) to be that kind of successful Mm -hmm. like your health is neglected and your relationships are neglected and honestly a lot of people who get that successful treat other people really poorly and step on a lot of heads as their ladder and I just don't want that yeah and I really kind of came face to face with what it would mean to be what I thought I wanted to be and what kind of person I would have to be and what kind of musician I would have to be to make those things happen and I just decided that I didn't want it anymore. What would you tell 19-year-old Claire now? I mean, in some ways, I think that nothing you can, like, tell someone could possibly teach them as much as just going through it, which sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it's so much nicer to just have someone tell you something and to be like, oh, dodge that bullet. Didn't have to do all that painful growth. Um, But I guess I would just tell me that to just have more faith in my intuition. Because I think that every time that my intuition has led me away from what I was doing and I ignored it, that's like when it's been the painful times, you know? I think at 26, I'm just learning how to respect myself enough to want to like even be with someone in a relationship that respects me and treats me well. Mm -hmm. And I would love to tell a 19-year-old me to just learn that then and skip all that stuff, but I also feel like I grew so much from the pain of going through that and I wrote so many songs that I like from that <laughs> that I'm just like I'm not even I don't know I'd probably just give me a hug and tell me it was gonna be all right it's gonna work out fine that's cute <laughs> I would really like to hug
0: my 19 year old self
1: too I was having a hard time man <laughs> me I was too. like <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing I don't know I'm, I'm finally starting to tackle the things that I've known that I wanted to tackle about myself for a long time so in some ways this feels like a crazy time (laughs) but in other ways I feel more sure of myself and more comfortable in my own skin and more um at peace with what my future is going to look like than I ever have because I think when you are kind of blindly chasing something and you've forgotten why there's a lot of insecurity in that like when you don't have that internal sense of self and like sense of like okay well at the end of the day even if no one likes this I like it and I know that like that is very comforting Yeah. Um, and when you don't have that you're very much at the liberty of what everyone else thinks like when you are one of those bands or whatever that's just kind of like the it band of that moment and just trying to ride that train you are waiting for it to fall out from under you and you're wanting everyone to like it and like keep liking it and like figure out how do I make them keep liking it because that's like all you have whereas when you are doing like your soul's work as it were you have that yeah at bare minimum and then maybe also like lots of people like it and like it goes really well or they don't but then at the very least you have the knowledge that that you're proud of yourself and you're doing what you want to do there is a comfort in being true to yourself yeah and you have to figure out who that is first yeah which took a while
0: yeah well yeah that's kind of the life's work right
1: yeah <laughs> totally what well, did you think you
0: So I know that you and I have talked a lot just in our normal lives Mm -hmm. when we're not on a microphone about our anxiety, shared Mm -hmm. anxiety struggles, Um, but I guess one thing that I am really curious about for you as an artist who has anxiety is how does that affect your ability to create and be productive and how does it affect your ability to um, be in front of people?
1: Well, I am a weirdo and I feel less anxious on stage than I do in real life. Cool. (laughs) So that's always been uh, because I don't I feel like to a certain degree, even before I had a stage name, it was a little bit like a removal of my real life when I'm up there and I kind of go to a different place and I. I think of myself as like Clark Kent in real life and on stage I'm like Superman, you know? So (laughs) it doesn't feel like me and I've had moments where I overthink it too much For a second, they're rare, but they do happen. And I'm, like, all of a sudden hyper-aware. And I go into my, like, anxious everyday self. And I'm like, oh my god, there's all those people and they're looking at me. And I, like, have... I experience it like a normal person would, basically, I think. And it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't happen very often. And it's usually when I'm not prepared for something that I'm supposed to be prepared for. Is when I get too in my head about it. When I can just focus on the music and focus on what I'm doing, I don't ever feel that way or I haven't really. As far as how it affects my process and like being an artist, I think that's kind of one of the ways that convinced me to start trying to tackle it and be more proactive about confronting it is I think that it can be a huge handicap and actually the moment that happened that made me decide to actually do something about it and the, do something about it like heavily in quotation marks because what that is has changed a few times already. But I guess just decide that I'm not satisfied with it ruling my life. <laughs> is I was on tour on the East Coast this summer and I was in New York. And I think for me with anxiety, like I am a really strong person and I, I don't confront like being scared or being overwhelmed right away. I kind of like push it aside and just I'm like I got this I can do this and I went on three tours last year by myself and um, just me in a car so
0: that's so Ani different. yeah here. I know
1: uh, well it was scary but yeah. it was awesome and very empowering um, but I remember people being like aren't you scared aren't you stressed and I'm like no I've got this I can do this I'm strong I'm independent And then at least once on every tour, I had an anxiety attack of some kind. Mm. And I think it's just like the manifestation of not coming to terms with when things scare you and when things stress you out and just kind of pushing it aside or that's what it is for me. So it just manifests itself as one big explosion instead of like a little mini like, oh God, this is scary, you know? I'm like, I'm fine. I got this. And then I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't figure out why it feels like my heart's going to explode. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I was in New York and I was in the middle of this tour and I um, was staying in this studio apartment that my aunt had hooked me up with at NYU because she works there. And um, the carpet was really old and it was super like 70s. Like all the appointments of it were very 70s. And I started thinking about... How I felt like it was probably pretty unsanitary, how old like the couch was and the carpet and stuff. And then I started thinking about bed bugs because in New York, like it's like a real thing. Yeah. And I got obsessed with thinking about it and I couldn't sleep. And I worked myself into a tizzy and convinced myself that there were bed bugs there. And I freaked out and I started feeling really itchy. <laughs> And I went and looked in the bathroom and my whole back was like had like red bumps on it. And so that freaked me out even harder. And then I had really bad insomnia and I didn't fall asleep till like six AM and I had to be up at like nine or ten to get to the next city on tour. And when I woke up in the morning extremely groggy, I my back was fine. Mm. And I realized that it was hives um, from anxiety. Wow. Had that happened before? No, never. Mm. And I was like, I, I need to do something about this because <laughs> that's I mean, I had never had like physical symptoms that I could see that were like clearly from it. Um, although I do feel like pretty much any health problem I've ever had has been anxiety related probably mm. ultimately um, just because of the toll that it does take on your body. I've never actually been suicidal. Um, I've had like issues with depression. I feel like a lot of people who have one have both. Like I think yeah. it's like they it's a kind of go hand and swing a around. Yeah, you're just like I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm kind of both. Um, but I had a thought. Like I remember driving once at like a like super low point, which I'm not at now at all. Um, and I've like I said, I don't think I've ever been extremely depressed. I think I've always been more anxious. But I think sometimes. Like, how anxious you are is depressing. (laughs) But I remember driving and being, like, just thinking about, like, how freeing it would be to just drive into a field. Like, just drive off the road and just stop, like, going down the road. Mm. And it, like, scared me to death. Like, I remember, like, thinking that thought and being so scared that, that thought had even crossed my mind Right. of how nice it would be to just drive off the road. I think that artists a lot of times are expected to just be martyrs and like vessels for art. And right. that's what they're here to do. So it's like you suffer and you are filled with tumult because you're here to make cool art. And in order for that to happen, you have to be filled with all this unrest and unease and you have to just kind of be at war with yourself all the time and that's just the cards you were dealt because you're an artist in society and that's what you're here to do I just I, I just don't want to accept that I don't want to feel like that's, that's the way it needs to be because I think you can I think just if you're a thinking feeling human being and you're paying attention it's really emotional and really hard to be here sometimes and there's plenty of material to make art about just yeah. from paying attention to how it feels to be on this planet and be a cognitive being. You know, you're never going to run out of material. Right. If you're in a relationship or out of a relationship or going through a hard time with your job or not, it's just every single day there's plenty of reasons to like feel really intense feelings. And I don't think that you need to live in constant turmoil for that to be true. I think you can live a happy, relatively like balanced life and still have plenty to write about. Yeah. You
0: know? So. I totally agree. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think that's a big reason why I wanted to start having these conversations with people is that the consensus seems to be that you actually want to be healthy so that you can stay alive and make art. Yeah. Totally. Totally. (laughs) And that it's actually a really harmful kind of archetype or stereotype that we've created that the artist has to be this long suffering, yeah, you know, drug addicted, alcoholic, moody puddle, basically. Yeah. Are you able to channel what you've
1: been going through into your songwriting? Like, I don't know. I, I generally am really inspired to write songs about like love and relationships. I wrote one song about depression, actually, but it's not coming out on this record yet. Maybe in the next one. I think kind of just the process itself, even if like the subject matter isn't it, is always really therapeutic for me. Because you can take your feelings and make something out of them. Like yeah. something that you can see that's there now, that exists on its own. You know, that's that process has always been incredibly helpful for me. To be like, I feel this thing that I don't know what to do with this feeling. It's like a really intense feeling and I feel it so hard. And it it is me. It's like engulfing me. And then I can take that and like spit it out and make it something beautiful or helpful or... Fun or whatever you know Right Um, And like make it be its own thing
0: delune front woman of tiny deaths a project that she started with grant cutler a couple of years back and they actually have a new ep on the way in early 2016 my name is andrea swenson and this has been another installment of the okay show we're going to take a week off next week give you some time to celebrate the holidays and ring in the new year and i'll be back with a new episode on january 6th featuring greg grease until next time it's gonna be okay
1: through all this time Still